Hello, football fans. It's Little Dan here with another episode of the Fancast pre-match. On this week, I've got former Wolves defender, midfielder, striker, probably kit man at some point. Done everything at Wolves apart from playing goal. I think I've got Neil Emblem with me. How are you doing, Neil? I'm good, thanks, Dan. Cheers for that introduction. No, it's great to have you on. Massive fan of that sort of '90s Wolves era and the players that came with it. And obviously, you were in the in the middle of the majority of it. Um, what's your sort of brief memories of, of of Wolves? Obviously, you joined in '94, signed by Graham Taylor. You had a second spell. Um, I think did Mark McGee bring you back from Crystal Palace? Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. And Mark brought me back. Yeah, it was uh, no, it was a great seven years of, of my life. You know, it's. Uh, such a massive club. Um, you know, I was pretty new to professional football, only seven or eight months in. I was at Millwall and then Graham Taylor uh, paid, you know, a decent fee for me to come to Wolves when Wolves was sort of spending big and were championship favourites really in 94. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I absolutely loved living in Wolverhampton, playing for the team, representing the, the city. It was a, a great time for me personally. So you mentioned there moving to Wolverhampton, sort of settling in the area. Was that your sort of first move outside of sort of London? You're from Bromley yeah, originally. That's yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, when I until when I was uh, John joined Wolves, I was 22. I was still basically living at home. Um, I was when I was playing for Millwall. I literally, I was playing non-league football. I had an eight-month uh, spell at Millwall, and I was still living with my parents at that time in those eight months and. The first time I ever bought a house was sort of uh, shortly after the July uh, 94 signing at Wolves and I, I bought a place in Tetnall. I wish I'd have kept it, but, um, you know, it had been, uh, yeah, it was lovely and settled in really well and obviously had a nightmare of a debut, but uh, bounced back pretty soon after that and had a pretty good year in 94, 95. It's sort of, I don't want to say folklore, but this this gets mentioned regularly about your debut and your first touch, doesn't it? Where, how does that stick into so many people's heads? Well, was it I really that bad? I think my hair was bleached so blonde it was sort of uh, putting the fans. You know, they were probably squinting as they looked at it. But no, it would, no, first game, first game of the season, I thought I'd be, I'd try and show that I was, you know, pretty much uh, bought in to be a ball playing centre back. Uh, I thought I'd be clever and go back first couple, first sort of minute of the of the game. Mick Stow had the ball in his hands and I thought I'd go and get it off him and start an attack and just went to roll it out of my feet, fell over it and um, managed to we managed to scramble and and, and 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 get the ball cleared. But yeah, it was an embarrassing moment, really embarrassing. And I think for the rest of that game it was still playing on my mind and it was such a big occasion for me. I mean, I was playing in front of 300, 400 people. Um, the year before that, you know, in non-league football and then to get the move to Millwall and then to the massive club like Wolves, it was uh, just a big moment for me. And it was, um, yeah, it was terrifying, to be honest, at, at that stage. But, you know, Graham Taylor, very, very experienced manager. He, he, he saw the situation. He knew that we got away with a 1-0 win that day, to be honest, against Reading. I, I could have been at fault for a couple of goals for them. And Mike Stowell, I say, forever saved my bacon that day. Um, he um, he kept he kept the one 0 win for us. He kept a clean sheet for the team, and but Graham was still clever enough to to take me out of the team. Say, look, this is a learning process. Uh, I had a week out of the team. I didn't play against Notts County the week after, and then um, got into the team the following weekend in the biggest game, West Brom at home, and uh, he put me into midfield. So I think there was a little bit of not trusting me back at the back anymore. Um, but uh, I had to sort of earn my stripes and, and, and that's when my sort of Wolves career really kicked off. We had a great win that day against West Brom with 2-0. It should have been 4-5. or five. And I think every player was outstanding that day. And, you know, West Brom just couldn't couldn't live with us. And uh, from that point onwards, I felt at home and, and, and settled in what I was trying to achieve. Yeah, I suppose winning a, a local derby for a new team always helps you get on a, a good front foot from there. I think you said two now, was it um, Andy Thompson and David Kelly, was it that, that day? It, yeah, the only thing I was disappointed with, when he scored from a set piece, second goal, David Kelly scored and I was right behind him ready to, to sort of tap it in as well. And um, yeah, I was obviously buzzing for, for, for Ned, but yeah, it would have been nice to score in that, that game as well. 
So you briefly mentioned sort of the, the managers, obviously Graham Taylor signed you, you worked under um, Mark McGee, Colin Lee and Dave Jones briefly. Obviously, Graham Taylor is probably the one that stands out the most in those names. But how did you find working under those different managers? Which which manager got the best out of you, do you think? Yeah, I think Graham Taylor definitely got the best out of me. Um, you know, he knew when you sort of knew, he didn't have to, he, he could lose... He could lose it. He could get onto you and 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 give you, a, you know, the rollicking you might need. But he also, you didn't want to get the look. If he gave you the look as though you were letting him down, that's the look you didn't want to see. And I, I lived in, I played in fear of getting the look off of him. And um, you know, thankfully, you know, when he was there, I, I felt personally I did okay. The team, you know, I got I had a couple of injury spells, but in general, when he played me in midfield, especially. Uh, I felt that I'd done quite well, uh, you know, during his time there. It's just unfortunate, you know, that we did we didn't we started poorly after a hangover from the losing the playoff semi final against Bolton the following year, and and we were under pressure straight away. And it just seemed like we had injury after injury in those couple of years when when Graham was in charge. And you know, you know, a sort of real regret is is just us not being able to achieve what we should have done with that group of players and. You know, we had such a good group. We had we had a lot of depth, and that was good because we did get so many injuries. But so many good players in that area era came to Wolves, and and um, you know it was great to play with them. It was just you know looking back, it was tough that we didn't do what we were all brought in to do. And what you mentioned there, sort of being unlucky, the Angara, the Plush, we never really had Steve Frogger and Tony Daly both fit in the no. starting lineup enough to probably get us over the line in, in games where we was missing that final ball or that, just that assist to Steve Ball because if that one cross came in nine times out of ten in that area, he was putting it away, wasn't he? Yeah, he um, was. Yeah. I, I did look that, the I think he might have been your second from last season before you left. You, there was only Darren Baisley who played more than, than you that season. I, I, get reminded, 40... I, I get reminded of that a lot by Baisley, yeah. <laughs> he, uh, so, he's, he's, that was under Colin Lee? It was, yeah. It was uh, my my last sort of full season, um, and um, yeah, it was it was a great year. I, you know, we we I think we just just missed out on the playoffs. I think the second last game of the season, uh, we just missed out. We got beat at Bolton away, and we missed out on the playoffs. But personally, that was a good year for me. I played in a lot of different positions. I enjoyed my football under Colin Lee and Mark McGee. To be honest, I, I, Mark McGee played me a lot. Um, in, at the back, in, a, in the middle of a back three, uh, he liked playing a back three a little bit more, which I felt when I was playing a centre back, I, I did feel more comfortable in a three than being in a old school sort of four four two. I think I would have rather been in midfield if we played four four two. But Mark gave me lots of opportunities in a three at the back, and I quite enjoyed that. Um, and, but yeah, and Colin that year played me in midfield. He played me right back, left back when I had to fill in at times. I think I even played on the wing a couple of times. And I definitely played up front a few times when Adi Akinbae was missing. So, um, yeah, look, I enjoyed putting the wolf shirt on whatever position. Um, I enjoyed, you know, the rapport ride with the supporters and, and, you know, showing them that I played like a supporter would play if he was given his shirt. And and, and that's what I sort of basically, because I worked a proper job, I feel, until I was 21, 22, and I wasn't given pro football so young, I think. I sort of learned that it means it meant quite a lot to me, and I had a decent understanding what the uh, the fans would be looking for. So that's what I just tried to implement every week, as well as what the the coaching staff wanted me to do. How comfortable? What was your most comfortable position? We've we've got a player similar now, Leander Dendonka, who regularly flutters between defence and midfield. I know you mentioned earlier, sort of a ball playing defender, but where was your best position, centre back or in mid- midfield? Do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's lovely to be, uh, you know, spoke of in a, in a similar ilk to Leander. You know, he's, he's, he's a top player playing for his country. It's, it's uh, you know, people have made them comparisons before. It sort of takes my breath away, really. I mean, it's a, I'm sure on a smaller scale, scale but um, now he, he uh, I, I feel like I had my best spells at Wolves when I played in midfield, if I'm honest. Um, and, um, you know, I, I felt, what I could bring energy-wise and, and trying to break into the box. It was a lot of four-four-two against four-four-two formations then. And it was if you run your midfielder one way, he has to come with you. And I felt always felt quite dangerous 
attacking wise being six foot two um not bad in the air i always felt like i could i could creep in between the two strikers who were basically marked by two center halves in those days and 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 if i broke off my uh midfield marker i could get in the box and cause problems so in modern day it's obviously more four three three with you know either one holding midfielder and two attacking midfielders or two holders and one attacking midfielder and I, I don't think that would have suited me as much so um i was probably you know i do feel more for for two midfielder was was my sort of game and i was willing to do the but the, the the sort of work both ways that's needed for that type of player and i think that suited me but definitely enjoyed playing in a three as well you know i, I definitely enjoyed playing in a, in a three at the back i think i had a couple of you know, top players alongside me. Dean Richards was alongside me at times. Jolien Lescott was alongside me at times. And John DeWolf and, and um, Eric Young, you know, in between a couple of man mountains. It, it sort of, I liked it then when in a three, but I definitely feel uh, in a four-four-two midfield back in the 90s was my uh, best position. I mentioned to you off air some of the, the calibre of players at, at Wolves that you played alongside. You mentioned there, sort of Dean Richards, uh, John DeWolf. Um, you even Keith Curl that you played. Did you play alongside Keith Curl? I think yeah, so. Did you? Yeah, Gordon Keith Cowans. Was, Gordon Cowans was an absolute genius in my mind as well. I mean, um, you know, '94 season he came in. '94, '95 season he came in. Graham Taylor brought him in. I think he must have been 34 at the time, maybe even. Uh, what a genius on the ball! But you know, the work he done as well off the ball and organising and just encouraging and the, the way he was with. Us sort of younger players was was eye opening for me. He was uh, a player I loved playing with. I think sort of looking on back on Gordon Cairns, you you wonder how good he was when he was like, in his prime at Aston Villa. If he was that good when he was at Wolves, he made everything look so simple, didn't he? Yeah, he did. And, uh, and you know, when he's a European Cup winner, that says it all about him. Made England caps. I think you know, I heard one of his uh, interviews, and he he got played in the England midfield in front of Paul Gascoigne. So, I mean, that's that's high praise. And, you know, he really was a, a top player with just um, unbelievable technique, you know, right and left foot, so natural both ways. Um, yeah, and, and you know, just a great decision maker and uh, teammate on the field. So, obviously, you had, you had a brief spell at um, Crystal Palace afterwards for a, for a year. Without sort of me trying to downplay the likes of Crystal Palace and Norwich. How does their fan expectation compare to the, the fans of Wolves? Because I, I feel like sometimes Wolves fans, as good as we are back in the team, we, we can be a bit too demanding at times when maybe things are getting a little bit tough. What's your opinion on that? Yeah, I mean, uh, they definitely didn't feel, no disrespect to either of those two clubs, but they didn't feel as big as Wolves. You know, they just didn't feel as big. It didn't seem you know to the fans as well it just didn't seem to matter to them as much i'm sure it does and i'm sure in their own way it does but you know and i, I think you know when you play in london as well um you know playing at, playing at crystal palace all the players live everywhere they live in different areas they're you know they're maybe not interacting with the supporters as much because that because of that as well you know, in Wolverhampton and Norwich, you're definitely interacting with the, the supporters because you, you live in those areas. Um, so I definitely felt those two, I felt more entrenched in those two places, even though at Norwich, you know, my my, my spell at Norwich was injury ravaged and, and I never really got going. So, um, but yeah, Palace was, was a different experience. My, my uncle's a season ticket holder at Crystal Palace and, um, you know, I'm a family I'm from South London and, and, you know that in itself, and, and to go and play in the try and try it in the Premier League, it was something that I didn't push at all. I just got told we've accepted a bid from Crystal Palace. It's unbelievable money for you know what we feel your value is, which I didn't feel bad about. You know, it's like they got they got offer an offer that they couldn't refuse. I knew Mark McGee didn't want to sell me, but it was an offer the club couldn't refuse, and I sort of got told a day before uh, uh, the season was starting actually, um, and. No, I didn't play in the first game of the season because they didn't want to risk injury. And then, you know, obviously it all got worked out. And a couple of weeks later, I was in my little short spell at Crystal Palace, which, you know, eventually you get on with it. Obviously, I was disappointed to leave Wolves. Um, but you also, I was also excited about the chance of playing in the Premier League. I can't, I can't, I won't lie about that. 
Um, so, but yeah, you know, I think going back through it, looking back through it from a career and talking about it, I, I think it sort of proved going to a, a, a team that was going to be always struggling in the Premier League and, and fighting for their lives. You know, I wasn't going to be a creative enough player to play in a Premier League midfield. Um, you know, I may have been able to play centre-half a little bit more in, in, in that league, but, you know, I wasn't creative enough. And I was I was the hard-working side of playing in the Premier League was just getting to, you know, there was players coming in the league at that time now, you know, proper technicians, proper three-man midfields that, you know, can work the ball around you. And, you know, I found it tough. And I think that the championship level was really my level, if I'm totally brutally honest. Yeah, so I did a little, obviously a bit of research, and from from what I read and sort of snippets from our interview later on, you you didn't really stand a chance when you was at Crystal Palace. Did you from sort of was it Steve Coppel wasn't sort of I was really keen on the signing. Their chairman was sort of throwing money left, right, and centre. And yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, it was a, it was a weird year for the players that had been there for a long time. You know, you had Crystal Palace stalwarts. You know that have been there. You know your Neil Shipley's, Bruce Dyers, Andy Roberts. You know, you know um, David uh, Tuttle and and Andy Linegan, All these players that have been at Crystal Palace a long time. I think they even found it quite hard. You know, you had a chairman that was basically playing fantasy football and bringing in players that he wanted with his real money. I mean, he put his money where his mouth was, and fair play to him on that. Um, but I don't know whether all the signings or whether all us signings were actually who the the coaching staff wanted, you know, I'm sure we was all on the little list, but, um, you know, I was obviously gettable at the price that was, was, was asked and, you know, and, uh, Tilio Lombardo and Padovano, there's some big signings coming in that have played, you know, with decent pedigree and decent history, far, far more experienced than I was. Um, but it was always going to be tough for, for everybody, you know, to try and gel that team so quickly and then survive, you know, in the Premier League, it's it's you know as you see this year with with, with Wolves, it's been you know it's hard to hit the ground running with with a lot of you know with with newer players. It's it's players coming in, they need a little bit of time, and you know I felt I needed time to adjust to that level, even being from the the country, and you know that that you know never really got going because we was bottom the, near the bottom of the league, and it was a struggle every week. I'll put it. Put you quickly on the spot because you mentioned the name there. Both sorts of players that were definitely in the latter peaks of their career. Tilio Lombardo and Gordon Cairns. Who was the better out of the two of those? Different players, but different players. Tilio was the, the most dedicated pro I'd ever seen. You know, after training, he was... Uh, he had these little tens machines that would uh, contract his muscles, and he'd put them on his legs. He'd be in the gym, um, you know. Apart from his bald head, which I can't really talk about anyway. I was going to say we've, we've, we've got just a bit more than what he had, I think, and we yeah, haven't exactly, much yeah. He um, he he his facially looked old, but his body was like young, you know, so young. He was so agile, and I would say. I would say Gordon Cowan's technically, but Latilio could beat people. He was more of an attacking player and he was an absolute genius with the ball. I mean, he, he probably, well, I think we might have been relegated by halfway through the year had not been for his quality in the attacking field, uh, end of the field. So, um, yeah, two unreal players. And you have put me on the spot and I have sat on the fence, but um, I'd still, if I could play with one just because he would understand me, I'd play with Sid. So you come back towards Crystal Palace and you've got sort of familiar faces from your Palace time, Kevin Muscat, um, Dougie Friedman. Um, who was the other one? I've got his name now. Uh, it wasn't, I'm not sure he was at Crystal Palace at your time, but one of my favourite all-time Wolves players, Simon Osborne, yeah. who I've tongue-in-cheek has said, could easily be better than what Ruben Neves is. What, what, how good was Simon Osborne to play alongside with? He was, he was brilliant. Me, me and Ozzy had a great relationship on and off the pitch, to be honest. He, uh, I remember when he first came to Wolves, um, we we did go out. We, we took a Tuesday afternoon. We had a Wednesday off and we had a little few pints to get to know each other. We were both from a similar area, family backgrounds and stuff like that. And 
Um, I, I love playing with Ozzy. I mean, he he had he was a genius, and that, again, another one, genius on the ball, took risks. Um, you know, he done a lot of the stuff that that I was more uncomfortable doing. I was more of a bigger robotic working type player. He was the one who made passes and and tried to you know put these penetrating passes through to strikers. And um, yeah, like I know he talks about himself as being marmite, and you know you either love him or you hate him and I've heard, you know, him talking about himself and his Wolf career, but you know, he shouldn't under underdo himself. He, he to his teammates, we all knew his value and how um, he tried to get the team on the front foot and and take risks to score goals. You know, and sometimes that wasn't appreciated. And uh, you know, he's um, we were all we were all willing to do some of the stuff, physical stuff. But, I mean, he got stuck in, but we were, we were, I was prepared to do some, some of his running, you know, because he, he did have, um, you know, knee problems, chronic knee problems throughout his time at Wolves. And, uh, but, you know, on the ball, what a great player. What a great player. I'm, and I'm, great I'm, lad. Bro, he is a great lad. Funny guy. Yeah. I could happily do a compilation comparing Simon Osborne's free kicks for Wolves to Ruben Neves free kicks to Wolves. I know, I think the last time he came to Molyneux was Wolves versus Sheffield United. We were playing this weekend and I think he saw Ruben Neves at one of his better games that night. Uh, he's had some good games though. But yeah, no, that, that, like the whole the whole uh, team that day. I mean, that I've done an interview on the pitch at half-time and I, was, I just sort of, you know, took that moment to go... I, you know, you knew at that stage the team was going to go up, and and the, the quality of product on the pitch was just going to new levels. And you know, it, we, there, the, you know, it wasn't done and at that point, but I just just knew you just you just knew you had that feeling around the place. Everybody was together. I thought Nuno was bringing, involving the fans and, and the emotion he shows. Um, it was just fantastic. You just knew the club was going to get back into the. Premier League and and then and then push on from there, which they've continued to do. Which is you know for an ex-player, you know when you talk about how many games you played for the club and in your career, um, it's great for me when I say I've played that many games for Wolves because everybody assumes now they were that good when I was playing. So uh, it's quite funny, but um, yeah, no, it's 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 great. It's you know and that that was the last time I was at, at Molyneux a couple of years ago and. And um, hopefully, I can get back there in the off season at the end of this year. Yeah, obviously uh, at Colorado Rapids now, uh, assistant coach working alongside uh, former Wolves fan cast favourite Jack Price. Uh, how, how are you finding out over there? Yeah, no, I love it here. Actually, it's uh, this is the start of my fourth season. Uh, MLS has really grown in those four years as well. Some quality, real quality players coming over and playing. You know, and, and, and they're getting a lot of quality players out of South America now at, at young ages that they're looking to sell on to Europe. And it's a really good league and, and a great city, um, great state to live in, Colorado. It's really, really pretty place. Mountains everywhere. Snow's still on them at the moment, as you can see with the snood I've got on. Um, hopefully the summer's on its way, but no, it's, it's, it's good. And pricey, I think he's enjoyed it. He's enjoyed it as much as, as I have. You know, he's been here. He's done three full seasons He's been MVP for the team every year. Um, shows quality in all aspects of his play, his passing, his his, his willingness to work, um, and and he's uh, a great influence in that changing room. You know, he's he's got the experience of being in Europe and playing at a big club, and he brings it every day. And the lads love him in there, and so do the staff. So uh, yeah, long may he can stay here, and 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 he makes us a better team for sure. I'll, uh, I'll quickly put you on the spot again. From your from your time at Wolves, who who would have been the the teammate who would have been disgusted the most if you turn up for training wearing a snood? Oh, I don't even think I would have got away with a cap, even when it's cold. You know, uh, definitely no gloves, no under the garments mm. of training. Uh, I think we all wore shorts all the time, and they were short shorts then. Um, the the lads these days they get proper wrapped up and. And uh, yeah, I, yeah. Who would have given me the most stick? Probably Curly. Curly would have been, um, you know, if you turn up with anything that that's probably not appropriate and a little bit different, he would have uh, smashed into you. But no, they, yeah. I mean, all the change rooms I was out of malls. Mike Stow was 
obviously a, another one that he had a column in newspapers and he was quite good for hammering people stoutly. So it's great to see him doing what he's doing now as well, by the way. Uh, what a coaching career he's, he's having. So, um, But yeah, no, it's, it, all the lads would have had plenty of banter at that stage. On the, and, that, and I'm sure we talk about what the lads are getting up to now as well. You, you played with sort of a lot of younger players at times who, who went on to be sort of Wolves legends, who, who stood out, obviously. You've got the likes of Robbie Keane, Jolien Lescott, Matt Murray. We had some seriously good academy players then. What, what do you remember about them from when they were babbies? Yeah, yeah I mean, Keith Andrews, Carl Robinson, they both cleaned my boots for a little spell. Uh, unbelievable, you know. Uh, did you give them a were... Christmas bonus? Yeah, I did, yeah. I think they'll say that I was all right. I was an all right pro to to clean boots for. I mean, both of those players as well. They, they on top of the ones you mentioned, um, you know, Lee Naylor as well. As there, there were some really good young players come through. They had a, a great, you know, really good scouting uh, group at that stage and they were bringing in some top quality youngsters and um, they were all really good lads. You know, the lads from Ireland, great characters as well, um, came in, settled, loved, you know, them off the pitch as well. They, Robbie and Keith were... were, were you know, um, centre of attention, great lads, uh, great in the changing room. You would never have known their their age. You know, even even you know you thought they the way they acted, they were more experienced players within the changing room. I think Keith was a, a really young captain. Robbie was just full of confidence and and um, every day exciting. And we were you know who was who he was going to nutmeg in training that day. I think you know. I think me, Steve Sedgley, um, the other midfielders and the players that were defending him at times, we all used to train with our legs closed, you know, just like legs together all the time. Robbie was just a, a genius. And we, we used to know he was he was just going to kick on and, and uh, you know, have a great career like he did. Uh, for playing alongside, obviously, Jolien, uh, what a career he had, you know, Premier League winner, you know, multiple England caps, you could also tell Jolien from a, a young age was going to go and achieve great things. And, you know, again, everyone in the change room, Lee Naylor, they're great lads, all top, top lads, top characters um, who you wanted to be in the trenches with. And, and you know, although they were at big clubs, they were destined to do big things. They all still just embraced uh, the change room culture at the time and, and added to it. And, um you know that's the big thing for young players. Can they add to the culture? Can they, can they, you know, be involved without overstepping the mark? And I think all those lads we've mentioned there have done it perfectly. A sink or swim attitude in the changes. And I know you mentioned Steve Sedge there. Who I've heard many stories about that guy. I think he was close mates with Paul Gascoigne. So you can imagine sort of some of the stuff that there was a story about him smoking a cigar. It wasn't a cigar. No, it wasn't a cigar. That wasn't Neil. <laughs> no, we'll leave, we'll leave the others to worst. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, he'd he'd moulded it like it was a cigar. So yeah, uh, that story is true. That story is true. And, you work uh, alongside, yeah. yeah, Steve Sedgley, a character. I think a lot of people forget that Keith Girl was part of the the crazy gang at Wimbledon in the late eighties. Was he just a consummate professional, or, or did he have a sort of wild side? I he had it obviously. Yeah. Uh, a very professional side, you know, when it was work, it was work. Um, but, you know, obviously from someone that experienced, you know, Man City, Wimbledon, uh, good career, played England, it's like, you know, he knew when you could also joke and have a laugh with it and get away with it. And, you know, you sort of needed those, those characters. Um, and the ones with the experience are the ones that know when not to overstep the mark and when it's work and ones who, you know, they, they know also when you can have fun and have a joke and build camaraderie and, and, and get on with uh, your environment and, and build your environment. So, yeah, I mean, he, he, he was a perfectionist at that. And he was also very good at, you know, pulling the old, uh, what do you, you call it, the um, grenade throwing it and then and then disappearing so uh letting it sort itself out he was great at that as well so no it's it's uh some, there were some great characters and in those seven years and you know memories again on and off the field i'll never forget this weekend wolves are at home to sheffield united quarter past day on sky sports 
you were a regular tormentor of Sheffield United in the Wolves shirt. There's, there's the clips that we put out on Twitter today. The uh, last-minute header from when we were 2-0 down in 95. And then I think you scored a winner in 96 or 7. Do you remember any of moments that games? The two all was pretty special from when I was a youngster. I mean, being 2-0 down, former Wolves player Nathan Black scored two for Sheffield United that day. John DeWolf gets an equaliser from the penalty spot and then you turn up late from a Robbie Dennison assist. Do you remember that? Oh, I remember it like it was yesterday. Yeah, it was uh, New Year's Day, actually. New Year's Day game, 1995, start of 1995. It's always nice to get your year off and up and running. Um, and yeah, it was... Uh, it was an unbelievable sort of ending to a game, you know, obviously being, I think, two, like you say, 2 nil down into injury time. You know, yeah, it's just a consolation. I honestly believed if we'd have played another 30 seconds to a minute, we'd have won 3-2. It was, it was like the ball was being sucked towards the goal. It was uh, amazing. And um, I, I remember feeling so tired after that game. Um, I think it was just a, a draining. You know, sometimes New Year's Day games there, they were difficult to get going uh, into, you know, different sort of uh, schedule, you know, earlier games at times, you know, um, staying in hotels the night before because they didn't want um, players sort of celebrating or being being with their families. Really, it was like a shut off day. Um, but yeah, no, it was that was a, a, a great occasion. And the second one was a special goal as well. You know, obviously being the match winner. Um, in a one nil win, I think it might have been in '99 that one. Um, um, I had probably the the best couple of weeks in a wolf shirt that I had. I, I scored at Sheffield United one nil win, and I, I scored it away at Fulham in a one nil win. And you know, just when you know um, you've sort of been the one that's got the team the three points, even though it's a team game, you know, it's just to be the the, the eventual match winner when you're. You know, that's not really your role. It was always Bully's role or or Don Goodman's or the, the attackers, the strikers' role. When you when you win one nil and you, and you score from midfield, it's it's um, it's always uh, that that's, you know that that extra special feeling. And they were they were great games um, and and nice moments for me personally. So, just sort of tongue in cheek. Now, was the reason you got sold by? You left Wolves in 2000, 2001 because the injuries was having too much of an impact on you or was it the fact that you saw the likes of Havard, Flo, Robert, Neistroy, these top European players leaving Wolves? I, uh, look, I, I think my, my ending at Wolves came when I knew Dave Jones came in and he wants his own set of players. And, you know, it's it, that happens. He wanted... He wanted to bring players in. He knew I'd been at the club seven years. You know, I've sort of sort of said on record. I, I, I feel like he could have he could have been more upfront and honest with me about it. But I also know that that's what he wanted, and I wasn't stupid enough to go. You know, he's not going to bring anybody in. You know, I'm going to be his cup of tea. You're always on edge when a new new manager comes in, and a new manager that's going to be backed by the owners and and. You know, they ended up bringing in Paul Ince and Colin Cameron to play in central midfield. And it's the same, you know, we spoke about Pricey and, and his end at, uh, at Wolves was when Moutinho and, and Neves come in. You know, they're, they're players that are, are top players and you, you look at them and go, wow, I can see that. I can see that. I can see that they've just gone next level now. They've gone next level. And that's what Wolves did. You know, there's no animosity. No, there was nothing at the end of it. I just wish the best for the club. And... You know, I went to Norwich and it was injury rabbits for me, but they showed faith straight away. They I think it was half a million pound they paid transfer fee and they made me captain for the first game of the season. Um, so that, there was that new sort of challenge again. It's like, OK, so I'm not, you know, someone wants the next level of player. Someone now wants to take me to be to take their team to the next level. Um, and, you know, that's football. That's football. It's something that you know, all players have to deal with uh, and I'm no different. And, you know, Wolves would, from that stage onwards, Wolves were always going to be my club. You know, I enjoyed the, the my time there so much and it was just a case of, you know, when can I get, when can I get back there? When can I start supporting them properly? When's my career going to be done? And I'm going to look back and always say that was my best team or my team where I enjoyed it most. 
and had my best times, you know, and I knew I was on the, you know, my career was starting to go on the descent then uh, as soon as I left. So uh, I was still, was I still going to enjoy it and try my best? Of course I was. But, um, you know, did I know that the I was coming towards the latter part of my career? Yeah, I was, my eyes were always open to that. He was talking about descent there. Um, you had probably your best Wolves moment in a Walsall shirt. 4-1 <laughs> against West Brom with a, with teammates consisting of Darren Baisley, Simon Osborne, Vinnie Samways, Steve Corrico. Do you remember much of that day? Oh, I love that day. I love that day. I'm sure, I'm sure, I mean, that was my, I, I joined for, three or four games towards the end of the season before on loan from Norwich. And uh, the loan spell, spell went quite well. I'd had a long time injured at Norwich. And Colin Lee said, look, come get a few games in before the end of the season and we'll see what we can do to sign you for the following year. And uh, that worked out. So my first real, real game was that game, first game of the season uh, as a permanent Walsall signing. And honestly... I think the Walsall fans were a little bit, ah, he's ex-Wolves. There's a few that are ex-Wolves. I'm not sure we're going to like this team. And uh, we just all went out and absolutely just smashed into it. And I remember marking Danny Dicchio and, and you know, he's a big presence, but just being super aggressive on him. And, and you know, Paul Merson scored two magical goals that day and, and uh, got us off to a, a great start. We were actually 4-0 up in the game. And they scored a consolation through Jason Kumas. But, you know, we were, it could have been more than four. Honestly, it was, we literally played them off the pitch. Last 15 minutes, the crowd were laying, and, you know, and it did, it felt great. And, and I saw sort of some, some forums afterwards and it was like, ah, oh, we were all accepted then after that game. It's like ex-Wolves, but we've all been accepted. And, um, you know, they knew that we was going to, you know, sort of bring it for, also as much as we could as well. And it wasn't just, you know, we were coming to a club that was um, lower ranked in a way. And, you know, we were still all in the same same league um, at the time. But, um, yeah, it was it was it was a good it was a good uh, debut and real debut for, for Walsall. And we we all enjoyed it. Steve Corico as well. You know, he was a wasn't always a Wolves fans favourite. And uh, he scored. I think he scored my scored. He scored an absolute weldy volley as well on that day. Um, so, yeah, the ex-Wolves players, I think Merson scored two goals, but I think I did officially get man of the match, so I'm always going to keep that one. I'd love to see Warsaw play West Brom in, in, in the near future. Again, hopefully that can that can happen. Uh, let's get back <laughs> to the game, the, <laughs> game to, uh, back on the weekend. Walsh, Sheffield United, um, obviously Wolves are not mathematically, but definitely safe this season now. Um, what, what have you made of Wolves this season with the, the injuries and yeah. recruitment, that sort of thing? Look, the injury to Raul is, you know, what would what would, what would would Tottenham be like with Harry Ka- without Harry Kane, you know? Well, they, they, they scraped Europa last season with him coming in back late, didn't they? Yeah. If, yeah. They, if they had him out the whole the entire season, who knows where they'd have ended up. Europa. Exactly. And, and, and look, Raul's done that well and he's embraced the whole club and the culture and the city it's like you know when you lose that type of player it's very very hard Um, and obviously you know the young lad Fabio has been bought in he's not ready yet he wasn't supposed to be ready yet I mean it's a big fee and it's hard to replace and and obviously the injuries now to Johnny and 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 Pedro and you know these it's tough these are things that can happen Um, and, and it affects your team you know selling the two the two boys Again, I think it's a tough decision to do that, but they've both offers that that you know the the, the service that that Doherty gave the club and how much he cost, cost the club. It's a, it's a way to you know it's a who knows he, he might be a cut a cut price comeback option you know in a way. Um, it was a great great amount of money and he'd done well for Wolves and, and they accepted the bid and, and same with Jota, Jota's come in and he's done a, a superb job, he's proven to be a, a top signing for Liverpool as well but it was unbelievable money and it's um, but then that rebuild takes a little bit longer 
um, because you may not have expected to get those those players to have been gone. Um, but you can't you can't stop other people trying to improve, other clubs trying to improve, and Wolves decided to sell those players, and then Raul gets injured. So it's been a tougher year. Look, there's still enough for me to know the club is is so in the right hands and and going in the right direction, and. You know, on, on and off the field, you know, it's been tough without the fans. And I, I do believe, you know, we talked about passion of fans. The last 10 minutes, and you're at Molyneux, the fans can can get you over the line. Um, and it does make a difference. People keep going on about, oh, you know, there's more and more away teams winning. Are we better away now? Because it doesn't matter with the fans. Yeah, that might be a case. But home fans, when they're when the team is doing what they're doing and what they've done over the last two or three years... The team's going to be behind this team. The fans are going to be behind this team for a long time, and not having the fans is not 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 help Wolves and and the clubs that have got that real passionate fan base. So, but yeah, look, there are lots of transition going on with the with the current squad. You know, players being asked to step up maybe before they were expected to step up, um, and being blended in. They've been thrown in at the deep end, a few of them. But you know, the clubs. In the, in the best hands, in my opinion, and, and uh, coaching staff are fantastic. And, you know, as a as a coach now, I'm always looking at little nuances and the way teams play. And, and you know, Wolves don't let in many goals. They're very organised. They're hard to penetrate. They've obviously got a great leader in the middle at the back in, in Connor. Um, but when you lose attacking threats, it's not as exciting at times, you know, and Wolves were always, always last year they had that counter-attacking threat a little bit more because Raul was that start of that. Um, but they've missed him badly. But you know he'll be back soon, hopefully, and and uh, you know the team will hopefully get back to that level again, uh, like it was at the end. You know, obviously last season. I'll quickly come to you for a score prediction in a moment. You mentioned Raul Jimenez. You both uh, featured in some sort of capacity at London 2012, the Olympics, well, for, for Mexico winning the gold, yourself at New Zealand. Uh, how do you remember those times? Good. Oh, yeah, it was a fantastic experience, you know. To be the head coach, I sat in, we played at Old Trafford, I sat in Alex Ferguson's seat and, uh, you know, to say you've done that as a as a coach is, you know, one of my highlights of coaching. Uh, we played against uh, Mo Salah, who played for Egypt. We drew one all with Egypt, uh, you know, we had nine Neymar. Amateur, Neymar, yeah. I mean, we had nine amateur players out of eighteen at that time for New Zealand. Um, eight, nine of our players were amateur players, and you know, you're playing against Neymar, Thiago Silva, Marcelo, um, Sandro, all these players that are playing in top clubs around the world. You know, honestly, the the Brazil list was endless. It was the the, the list of players that were in that team were frightening, and they actually got beat, I think, by Mexico in the final. So. Um, yeah, Raul. We didn't have to. I didn't have to come head to head with him. Um, we'd have had to beat Brazil for that. But uh, no, it was a, it was a great experience. And I'm sure you know. That's what I do love that about the the Mexican and the, the Brazilian players. It's such they're so proud to play for their country. You know the fact that I think the club let him go and train with Mexico when they were on their last international duty. I, I think they're just you know they both parties know how much it means to each other. And I think Wolves letting him do that and keeping him on the road to recovery and giving him a mental break of going and doing that. I think that's been a great move and, you know, it's great management. Right. Let's uh, quickly jump back to Wolf Sheffield United of the weekend. What's your score prediction going into that game? Obviously, we can't bring you on late to get one of those late headers again, but what, what, where do you think we're going with the no, score I result? No, I, don't, I don't think we'll, I don't think we'll need uh, a late goal. I, you know, I think, they are, they're having a tough season. Uh, I actually played at Norwich with their interim coach, Paul Heckenbottom. Um, we, you know, uh, probably only appeared on the pitch a couple of times. He wasn't in the side a lot and I was injured a lot. Uh, but, um, yeah, I've been following his coaching career. You know, it's been tough for them, you know, to become an interim and come in and, and take that job on when you're sort of that far behind as well. But I'm expecting us to... To, to go and win quite convincingly. Uh, I'll take a 2-0 because that's a, a good coaching result. It's a clean sheet. It's, you know, getting a couple of goals. It's building confidence. Um, so I'm going 2-0. Um, I think Connor, Connor will uh, organise the troops. Obviously, we're hard to play against and at home. And, 
um, you know, hard to penetrate and get behind. So I'm, I'm going 2-0, two 2-0 nil, two nil Wolves. Right, 2-0 Wolves from Neil Emblem there. I'm just going to have a quick, quick fire quiz with you, Neil. It's only basic questions. Looking back at your time at Wolves, who, who was your best mate during your time at Wolves? I go two. It's got to be two. Simon Osborne and Darren Baisley. Who who was the guy that you would least like to have roomed with back then? Or me just literally saying Steve Sedgley? Definitely Steve Sedgley. <laughs> Definitely Steve Sedgley. You would be waking up with something inside, inserted inside your pillow, I'm sure. Um, where do you keep your chocolate? In the cupboard or the fridge? Fridge. I like it. You're the first one in, in this series. We've had fridge. we've had Kevin Doyle, Kevin Fowley, Steve Frogger, Richard Stearman, and you're the first man like myself that keeps it in the fridge. Hundred percent. And then, last question is: Who's your favourite out of uh, Messi and Cristiano? Oh, wow. You've already you've already made the right decision with chocolate. Do the right thing with this one because I'm the only one who's picked the one guy, and you know that answer now. Cristiano. It has to be Cristiano. Like. I don't know whether it has to be. <laughs> but, like, he's I'm just, fighting his corner forever. Yeah, he's um, longevity, longevity and, and just the way, you know, he's, I think you can still put him in any team and he'd improve it. I think same with Messi, but, you know, you know, you, you could put, I think you could put Ronaldo in a struggling team and he might drag that team out of it. And I'm not sure that you'd say the same about Messi. Um, you know, that's, Tough statement, but, you know, I think Cristiano might just drag you out of a situation and take it on himself to uh, to make that happen a bit more than Messi might. And the other point that Kevin Doyle made, you could literally play Cristiano Ronaldo in any position in a team and he could, do, he, he could play centre-back for a team and he'd still look like an elite professional. So that's why, for me, with his goal-scoring record compared to Messi's, Cristiano Ronaldo... Is the better out of the two, but we'll appreciate them both while they're still playing. Exactly. Neil, I really appreciate your time tonight. Um, as you said, off season, once fans back in the stadium, we'd love to have you back one day to have another chat. That'd be great. Yeah, and no, I enjoyed it, Dan. It's good talking about old times. You know, such a such a sort of great feeling with um, you know, the, the 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 town and the city and and yeah, just just love my time there, like I say, and uh it's always good to see the, the Twitter feeds and uh, what's going on. You know, obviously at the moment the with the, the injuries we've had and the, 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 even the more these recent ones, it's just time for people to step up and get another result and see how high we can finish at the end of this year. Nice one, Neil. Um, folks, stick with us after the break. We've got Jordan and Kim with us to talk way to bet your money on the Wall Shepherd United game with uh, Ball Sports and Game Week 32 tips in the Fantasy Premier League. Welcome back. Thank you again to Neil Emblem for coming on the show today. Absolutely. Another great servant of the club with many um, memorable goals in the old golden black. But Kim and Jordan with me as usual uh, to discuss, uh, just briefly touch on the Fulham win and then we'll uh, preview Sheffield United and as well finish off with our usual fantasy Premier League tips. Uh, how are you doing, guys? All good, thank you. All good, thank you. Yeah. Good. Um, any, any of you been out on the pitch yet? I haven't. Someone has. <laughs> I went out Monday for a couple of sociable drinks. I haven't been out, as in out, out yet. I'm going to weave myself in gently. Um, but, yeah, nice to be out and about again. Representing uh, the fan cast on the, as the, the, the fan cast alcoholic of the group. Well, well, uh, well done on that, Georgina. But Georgina, best. Let's quickly touch on the the win over Fulham, a massive win in in hindsight with the loss of Pedro Neto. Those three points of we're safe now, aren't we? If if any, even the pessimistic Wolves fans like myself, usually we're safe now. You, you can play the kids for the rest of the season for all I care now. What did you, what did you think on the on the result for Friday night, Kim? Um, I have always said we were safe anyway before that, just because I think all the teams below us are just poor. Not that we've been 
exactly great this season. Um, I suppose that result kind of cements it, doesn't it, that, you know, there's literally no chance of us, us going down. And, and it's all about, well, I suppose, one, relegating Albion and two, just trying to get that top half finish, I suppose. And I think the performance on Friday, last Friday, um, I think it wasn't great again, but I think we showed that, Dharma for once showed that, you know, little bit of class at the end um, and a great finish, didn't expect it to go in and, and a quite harsh, I think, that people were on, on Fulham Keeper. Um, yes, you shouldn't be beating your near post, but for me, I think, you know, it was it was such a great strike that, yeah, it's a bit harsh on the, on the keeper there, I think. What about you, Jordan? Massive three points, but performance analysis? Performance, not great. But it's all that matters, isn't it? Ultimately, you know, sort of uh, before the game, I said it was probably the biggest game of our season just because of context, really. And um, you know what? We've got three points completely safe now. And uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a lot more comfortable now with not going into uh, the weekend, you know, with those three points. Because I think if we'd have even lost against Fulham, having no Neto and no Neves on top of everything else that's gone wrong this season. You might have started to actually properly look down the table a little bit, but uh, important three points and uh, we'll be back in the Premier League next season, no doubt. Quickly, but I'll uh, put you both on the spot here. Can we finish above Villa this season? Not yes. Oh, inconclusive. Just because... Surprise, my, Jordan. my reasoning is the fact that basically on fixtures, I think... We've got some, as we all know, really on paper, really good fixtures, and I don't, and I don't think when I've watched Villa lately, they looked a shadow of their former self, and they've got some hard fixtures coming up. Um, so yes, I'm going to be positive and say I think we can, we can finish above them. Why do you think not, Jordan? Well, we played a game more than them. There's a twenty goal different swing, and they're six points ahead of us. So maths would tell me. We're not going to basically let's call it seven points. There's seven points ahead of us with the goal difference, aren't they? And with all our injuries, I can't see us getting seven more points than Aston Villa till now to the end of the season. I hope I'm wrong, obviously. Um, but just with the, the context, it's just context for me. I think full squad, yeah, I think we've got a massive chance, but I just think I think we've got too many injuries to be honest with you. Well, you're just looking at their fixtures that Villa's now, they've got Man City. They've got Man United, they've got Chelsea, and they've got Tottenham. So, I would think we can. I think purely because oh, yeah. of how two they look without Grealish recently. That yeah, there there is a there is a there's a chance. I, I would sort of if I had to put my money on it. I'd I'd probably go with Jordan's opinion purely because of how much points they've got advantage on us currently. But like I say, with the fixtures that we've got. And um, the fact that Villa look a bit toothless going forward. I know Ollie Watkins is still quite in, in, in the goal scoring charts. But um, yeah, there's, there's still a chance. Keep the face warm, fans. Um, let's quickly touch on the uh, the game at the weekend. Saturday, quarter past eight on Sky Sports. Um, at home to Sheffield United. Ball Sports have us to win at four to six, draw 12 to five. And Sheffield United win at nine to two. What's your opinions going into that game, guys? What do you want to see from a sort of team line-up sort of view, uh, Kim? Um, I would actually just stick with the back four now, I think. Even though, I think, I know a few weeks ago I'd say back five, but I think with the personnel that we have, um, I think we've got to go with a back four and just attack them. You know, they're not they're not being smashed every week. Are they, Sheffield United, 5 nil. But they are losing by, you know, one to two goals per week, per, per match. So, I think, for me, it's got to be a win. And we've got to just go at them. Because, let's be honest, I can't see them scoring. I don't want to jinx it, but I cannot see them scoring. So, you said mentioning sort of stick with the back four, the, the exact same back four that played at Fulham or... Any changes in the midfield defence anywhere, really? I wouldn't. I think, well, Bolly's not back. Is Bolly back? 
think Bolly should Cody? ask. Yeah. Yeah, I think you've got to play Bolly and Cody, haven't you? I mean, yeah, it might be a bit harsh on Sace, but for me, maybe Bolly Co- Cody at centre back. Um, maybe Matinho comes back in. No, he, he didn't. He came on. Uh, you, yeah. It's one of those, isn't it? I think we've got to go all out. No Neto. Prevent Sadama in attack. Fabio Silva has to start, obviously, uh, and and see where we go from there. What about you, Jordan? What's your sort of mindset with the sort of lineup going going forward for the rest of the season? Now, the fact that we're pretty much safe and we've got now Pedro Neto. I'll just play four two three one, like I've, I've said for weeks now. I think if that is the formation going forward. Stick with it, and if we, you know what, if, again, if we lose all seven games or win all seven games from now to the end of the season, we're not going down, and we're not going to get European football. So we're going to be in that cluster of teams in between it. So I'd like to see him. I would like to see him play Vitinha. I'd like to see him play Morgan Gibbs White. I think that again, I don't personally think Morgan Gibbs White is good enough for our level. But those things, isn't it? We've got seven games to go. If you play him in the number 10 in his preferred position, give him minutes on the pitch and he still doesn't do it, then we know he's not good enough. At the moment, there's still a little bit of a question mark for me if he could step up or not. Um, but I just think now is the time to experiment a little bit, give the team your minutes. Let's let's have a look at Otisari again and sort of, I think that is the approach. But whether Nuno does that or not, I'd be very surprised still, to be honest. I personally don't think he will. I think he will literally just, you know, stick with the try that tested. I'll be surprised if Morgan Gibbs White or Matinia get a spot. I think there's, there's something still in, in the back of the mind. The fact that we, we, I wouldn't say threw away, but we decided that the league was more important than the FA Cup. Purely from a financial point of view, I still think Nuno has been told we have to finish as high as we can. Obviously, the higher you finish, the more money you get. So I still think he'll be looking at results more than performances. If it was me, I'd like to see a, a quick big attempt at experimentation. I'd like to see maybe um, Hover and Bolly in a centre-back pairing to, to try that and see how that works. Um, I think the full-backs pretty much pick themselves at the moment with Samino and um, Ryan Aitnori. nori You can look at sort of giving Morgan Gibbs one for teeny minutes, but I still think you need... A, a bit of a workhorse either in Den Donker or, or Sace in the midfield with them. I, I don't think, I think Sace's midfield days are, are pretty much done and dusted now, but I still feel like he's a better midfielder than what Den Donker is. I'd like to see Fabio and Jose uh, together working in a two with maybe Jose working off um, Fabio and just making chances for Fabio just off um, headers and shielding. What's your sort of. Um, Betting tips for the game um, on Saturday, Jordan. I know you were on the podcast this week, which you can still listen to if you're, you're out there, uh, viewers, on all the main yeah. podcasts. Where's your money this week on Bet Boys? I sort of said it in sort of jest, but I do, I think we'll I do think we'll win the game. And this was you know the podcast went out post knowing how uh, you know Neto's injury or even Neves being out as well. Um, I'm predicting Wolves to win three one, but I do think Sheffield United actually might score the first goal. And if you're a fan of the podcast, you know that we're there's a few. Well, there's a certain someone who's a fan of John Fleck. So I'm going for John Fleck to score first, Wolves to win three one, and that's put a pound on three hundred sixty to one. It's what Dan likes. He likes the big ones. So that's what I'm going for. Hashtag, bet small, win big. There's your money. John Fleck to score first, Wolves to win three one, three hundred sixty to one. It's a nice yeah. little, uh, it's a nice little Butlin's holiday on the back of that. Treat yourself. What's your yeah. money on, Kim? Well, you know, I go a little bit more safer with my betting. So I'm going to be positive and say Wolves will win this game. Um, Sheffield United are a very poor team. So Wolves to win 2 0. And Adama, first goal scorer, is 28 to 1. Or if you don't fancy Adama, I would also, also back Connor Cody, first goal scorer. Um, and Wolves to win 20 to 1. Either of those is a, is worth a pound, I think, or a fiver. Let us know where you're putting your money on in the comments section below, folks. My money on this week, I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. I don't think either team are great defensively at the moment. 
He has to break his duck soon or later. VAR cost him last week. I'm going William Howes, our first goal scorer. Wolves to win 3-2, 100-1. As I said earlier, bet small, win big. Let us know where you're betting. And as always, uh, like, comment and subscribe. Let's quickly jump to this week's um, Fantasy Premier League. She done it again, Jordan. This one over here. <laughs> Missed that it, Nick. This one over here, done it again. I don't know if she keeps doing it. I thought I had a good week. I, I even had the Stuart Dallas bench points come on to get me, um, I think it was a plus 60 score. But Kim's still in the in the top 10, pushing for those um, Champions League places. Um, where are we going this week, guys? I'll come to you um, first, Jordan, and I'll come to me second. And then Kira McGee on, on, the, on the left of me will um, tell us where to go. <laughs> Um, so I think Spurs got the double game week. So I'm looking outside. You know, I don't think you can, even though how Paul have been, I don't think you can really look outside of Spurs pick. Um, everyone will go Kane. I need to make up points, so I'm going for Son as captain this week um, to make up those points. In terms of differential, I've made my transfer one transfer because you can go a bit mad chasing that double game week, and they haven't got a fixture the following week. So I've just done a quite a simple one. And I brought in Jaffet Tanganga at £4.8 million. Mourinho likes him. Spurs conceded three at the weekend without him. He's going to be back in. Kim's reaction to that differential said it all then. Right. Um... Well, I can't see a Spurs clean sheet, to be fair, in either game. So, yeah. Right. Well, so, this week for me, I think. It... Obviously, you've got the advantage of the two um, Spurs games. Just just refresh my mind quickly. Who, who was Spurs playing in those two games? Everton and Southampton. Right, OK. I'm going with the man who's obviously the most informed player in the league at the moment. That's Jesse Lingard, that that guy. I think he's just, for a midfield out, at such, such a still low value compared to the likes of Bruno Fernandes, who's at home to Burnley and... Um, Salah, whoever he's playing this week, I've got no interest in Mohamed Salah anymore. It's going to Liverpool player, Diogo Jota, cheaper and centre forward. Um, my differential this week, a guy who's definitely got a goal and assist in him, been in the news a lot the last week. At home to West Bromwich Albion, it's James Madison. That's where the differential this week is, folks. Another cheap midfielder, he's got a point to prove. He needs to hit the ground running if he's still going to make this England squad, which is probably a long shot for him now. But that's where your differential this week is. Any further comments, you guys, on where on wherever else to spend your money on the fancy Premier League? No? Okay. It's a great episode this week, folks. <laughs> it's all on Kim, isn't it? We need to hear uh, about Kim's selections. We're too good now. She didn't share them. Yeah. Okay. I will share a little bit not too much but I will share obviously my FPL captain will be a Tottenham player and I just am going safe with Kane obviously um I think Son's a decent option but I'm just too scared not to go for Kane just in case uh he does return big and that'll affect my rank overall um and then in terms of differential Definitely a great pick by me last week. Alexandra Lacazette got me 13 points and has got Newcastle, West Brom and Fulham in the next three, I believe. And he's only got 8% ownership. So he's not cheap, but definitely worth a a punt. I'm not sure about you, um, Jordan. I think if if you're looking for a striker out there at the moment, guys, Get yourself on Kelechi and Nacho. Still yeah. cheap value at home to West Brom this weekend. That that's another yeah. dif- difference when you want to be looking at striker wise. Yeah. Any further comments this week, guys? Are, are you going out to watch the game on Saturday, or is it another one in lockdown? I've got um, a family. I'm box. actually yes, I am out actually watching it. Good. Jordan's, you're at a family barbecue, aren't you? Yeah, I'm at a family barbecue. Yeah. So I'm at the uh, the brother-in-laws for a hot dog and a burger to watch the game. I'm not drinking Lambrini like Kim will be around the streets of Broad Street on the Saturday night. Broad Street? Do you Outside not tell reflex. Me 
Right, no, so yeah. I'll be sipping a cocktail in Brindy Place this weekend. Uh, the other half, Lou, down, middle class folk. You can take the girl out of Finchfield, be caught at Finchfield out the girl. I'm, you're from Finchfield, have I read that up? Yes, originally, but we don't tell okay. everyone that, do we? Finchfield OG. You got any um, comments to make on the episode where you want to talk about in future episodes? As always, continue to um, follow the fan cast. If you need any um, printing or embroidery done, get yourself to the, the sports shop at Kings Winford. They did, they did this flag for us. Great little shop. They've also got um, a uniform shop now for all those parents with kids going back to school in the, in, in the summer. Thanks for your time today, guys. Um, as always, keep following the fan cast. Podcast them out. We've got YouTube episodes pretty much daily now. Uh, Kim, Jordan, say yourself uh, goodbye. See you later, folks. Bye. And Kim's waving for all the people listening on the podcast uh, outlets. See you later. How should you plan for when your home becomes too small? Or when the next one gets too big? At Sandy Spring Bank, we're here to help create personalized solutions for financing your home loan. Whether it's a new home or refinance, renovation or addition, fixer-upper or new build. Banking is a conversation. Let's talk about your mortgage. Visit sandyspringbank.com mortgage. Mortgage, home equity, and other credit products offered by Sandy Spring Bank, equal housing lender. The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Border Patrol agents enjoy great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. If you are looking for a way to serve something greater than yourself, consider the United States Border Patrol. Learn more online at cbp.gov careers USBP. That's cbp.gov careers USBP.